Hey, what's up, you guys? Uh, Derek here, and uh, we just wanted to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Elliot Bullock II, Lauren Javier, Adam Armstrong, Eric Nova, Brian Griebel, Ernesto Barreda, Spencer Weary, Jiko Chu, Brianna Schkad, and Abby Stoshak. Thank you guys so much, and uh, please enjoy this very informative and blew our minds. Um, please enjoy this episode with Observer Writer Brandon Katz. To all who come to this happy place, welcome. Hello, all you beautiful people. Welcome to episode 11? 11. Oh man, I'm I'm just slipping up now that we're in double digits. No, I know it's a uh, yeah, it's 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 been crazy. We're we're only on episode eleven, but still, hey, that's, that's still, crazy to me. We didn't think for, it would last this long. Yeah, no, no. So th- we are super stoked today. Uh, we have our second guest host uh, on tonight's show. Yes, and we are super excited to welcome the senior uh, entertainment reporter for Observer dot com. Brandon Katz. This guy not only has dropped some of the biggest scoops in the in the last about year, which we're going to ask him about, and I'm super proud of him because we've known him for quite some time now. Yeah. And this dude has the knowledge. I, I've spoken about it on the podcast before. This guy has a knowledge of not only the industry in terms of tracking box office and its outcome and how things work in this industry. I want to welcome Brandon Katz. Brandon, yeah, Brandon, what's up, dude? First of all, thank you so much for having me on again. I love talking to you guys. Second of all, can you just like follow me around and be my hype man slash like therapist? Because I just feel <laughs> great right now. That was a hell of an introduction. You. Hey, this guy's the shit right here. No, you don't know about him yet, but he's with the shit. Yeah, so <laughs> you guys, you guys are too kind. I love it. Hey, that's what we do. That's what we do. You're in New York, right? Yeah, I'm in New York. Where are you guys so based again? We're we're just 45 minutes about east of LA. Yeah, we're okay, right outside right. LA. Yeah. So as we're in the Hollywood capital of the world, you're basically in the second capital of the yeah, world when it comes New to York. the entertainment industry. Basically, number one when it yeah. comes to Broadway. Um, so if you don't mind telling some of our a lot of our followers already know who you are, probably already follow you. But if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into this crazy industry that we're in. And uh, tell us how you uh, led to Observer. Yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, like I said, thank you guys again for having me. Really appreciate it. Love talking to you guys. Uh, In terms of my little journey over here, I was that kid who was like in all the school plays, who was class clowning. I I did stand-up comedy in high school and college. so so cool. (laughs) I always love crafting narratives. You did post some of your stand-up on Twitter, I've seen. And it was funny. (laughs) <laughs> thank you thank oh, you i'm gonna go back and check that I out i, I seen, love yes, comedy yes, like sam comedy it's is my so shit. good i've seen it or i might have seen it on youtube it might not have been twitter but i've seen it i have seen it oh that's there, there's some stand-up of me when i was like 16 17 on youtube oh, and awesome. in the pandemic i've started a, a humor-based entertainment video series on twitter called facts with cats where i just you know yes. make some oh, jokes man. i do oh it's funny I do some pop culture related raps. Yes, the white Jewish boy does do a few raps. <laughs> it's, it's all good fun. So, you know, I've always just loved crafting narratives and telling stories of that English nerd in high school. And that really always kind of led me to my two passions, which was sports and pop culture entertainment. Really, you know, since I was 12, 13, 14, I knew I wanted to do something related to those in terms of telling stories. So throughout college, I had a bunch of internships with a bunch of different media organizations out of college, you know, was really hitting the pavement trying to get media jobs. And so I was freelancing, doing some full-time work for a few years. And then uh, now I've been with Observer for about three years. I'm very grateful for the opportunity. I I love what I do. And I do think uh, even if you have a a crazy dream, like writing about movies and TV for a living, which every parent will tell you isn't a career, go for it anyway. It's still possible. You can do it, guys. We're trying. We're trying to get there. <laughs> yeah, no. that's crazy. That's super awesome. Um, how long have you been with? Oh. oh, he said three years. Oh, three years. Three years. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So I just so I want to start off before we kind of get into our main points. Is you dropped one of the to me, and I'm always so proud of when you do like your own scoops and your own thing. You dropped probably one of the biggest scoops I had seen in a long time. And that was a uh, director scoop for a little DC movie that's you know about to get some screen time here come Saturday. Um, yeah, you you scooped the uh, Jean Collette Sarah for Black Adam. That was oh. awesome. Um, how did it feel getting some of that notoriety and getting some of the respect of some of you know not only people we you know people we know in this industry, but also like the bigger headlines like 
the you know the Hollywood Reporter, Variety, Entertainment Weekly. Well, again, that was extremely nice of you guys to bring up and hype me up. Uh, yes, I did scoop the Black Adam director. Uh, I don't consider myself a scoopster. That is probably not you know one of my my main pillars. But every now and then, I I do hear a little nugget of information that's worth following up on and worth trying to put out there. And that was really cool because uh, that was a project myself been looking forward to what he's been casting the role since 2013 2014 yeah, a long time yeah long yeah time. so that that was really exciting to me it was it was clearly a sign that behind the scenes the industry thinks jungle cruise is going to be pretty good since right. uh you know he directed the rock and emily blunt in that and we'll see that eventually at some point so that was a really just fun time fun story i was grateful for all the people who helped me along the way and you know thank you guys again for being so nice about it yeah of course so we're gonna we're gonna just jump right into probably the biggest topic where i think you're gonna come yes. and give the best insight and that was last week during the disney earnings call when disney ceo bob chapek made the announcement that the long, you know, awaited Mulan, which has sadly been pushed multiple times due to COVID-19, like every other, you know, film in this industry. Um, it finally came out after, you know, Disney was very adamant, hey, this is going straight to theaters, straight to theaters. It finally came out that it would hit Disney Plus with the side note that it would be premium VOD. You know, it. what, what were your thoughts when you heard that news? Um, because we have our own thoughts and obviously we're going to discuss this, but what do you think of this news and how do you think it'll affect not only Disney plus moving forward, but the industry as a whole? It's a great question. And my first reaction as I was live tweeting the earnings call, you know, for work was this is fucking nuts. (laughs) Yeah. I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that I still didn't believe even months deep into this pandemic that we would see a true blue blockbuster go to PVOD because the economics just don't really make sense for that. Now, there is absolutely a way that Mulan can turn a profit and Disney can make some money. But traditionally speaking, there's a reason blockbusters come out in theaters is because that is where your highest earnings potential is. So for Disney to probably responsibly concede to the reality of the world and what the marketplace is right now. This is a huge acknowledgement from the number one film studio in the world. And as you said, we're looking forward. This opens the door for further blockbusters to migrate to on-demand, premium on-demand streaming platforms, depending on how Mulan performs, of course. That's the huge question, because that is very much up in the air in terms of will it sell enough to justify this for a Black Widow, assuming... November comes and we're still kind of mostly on lockdown throughout America. Right. Right. It's, it's interesting because the film itself and it's out, the news is out there. It's got a pretty substantial budget and I'm sure there's a million baby. Yeah. Didn't already have its premiere. It did have its premiere. Right. Reviews have been basically on lockdown in people's hard drives yeah. uh, since then. <laughs> uh, Cause there is a, still an embargo technically on that film. Um, not only that, but there's obviously a considerable, uh, in, in terms of marketing budget, that's not, you know, added to that $200 million production budget, you know, you add to it. You, you really, you're really hoping, and this is just my opinion, you're really hoping not, not on Disney plus and its premium access, you're really kind of banking on where it's going to be released in theaters. And that's, Asia, yeah. which is where Disney has always said this is w- who we are trying to. It's like the target. second biggest market other than domestic. Yeah, right. It, it's it's up there, and I'm sure Brandon can to, can attest to this. It's going to be huge. All eyes are on them. It's it's what can Asia do, and then after that, all eyes go to Disney Plus Premium, you know, VOD, which is which they're calling Premium Access, which Bob Chapek is calling it a one off, which. I'm not sure I buy right now, but we'll get into that. I've heard stuff otherwise. Yeah. So, Brandon, what do you think in reality how China or even Asia as a whole, as a continent, impacts Mulan and its future? So you guys are right. China is the second biggest box office region in the world behind the uh, North America. Last year, we put up about $11.5 billion. They put up $9.2 billion. So right behind us. And prior to 2019, they were actually on pace to overtake us in the next few years. And I think, assuming we get back to normal, based on population and having 70,000 screens, that that probably will happen. So it is very vital to Hollywood 
that a movie, especially a blockbuster, an effects-driven blockbuster, succeed in China. Now, the thing is, here domestically, because we're such insulated, you know, straight white male-centric stories, and we're making slow progress towards diversity, a movie like Crazy Rich Asians was a huge deal. It did really well, but that movie kind of flatlined in China because it's not a big deal there to have a major Chinese cast in, in China. So that is the thing that we're all looking at. China, the hope is it'll do 100 million plus, something like that. Will it actually be such a big deal? We don't know. That's right. why we're, we've been looking so intently. So it's going to be really interesting. But as a whole, you guys are absolutely right. The Chinese market is crucial to Hollywood now and moving forward. Right. It's, it's interesting. Did you get a chance to uh, see your press screening before the shutdown? I was literally off maybe two days before they yeah. shut it down. Yeah, we were supposed to go see it. I didn't see it, unfortunately, or else I would be you know, teasing if I liked it or yeah, not. Yeah, but right, right. It looks badass to me. And of course, oh, of I'm course. disappointed that there's no songs and there's no Mushu. But it looks like you know, grounded in the sense that they're, they're getting rid of kind of the most kid-friendly elements. But there's still obviously you know, mysticism and martial arts. But it just looks like all sorts of dope, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly, because it's it's more grounded into that uh, that short story. The it's kind of like a historic ballad, almost ballad. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what makes me think that it may do what we're thinking in China, because it you know because they didn't like the animated movie because they didn't oh, want yeah. like yeah. Um, that they think you know it's more towards what they're envisioning for the movie. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, China was like they were all about like n- n- Mushu. No, no, no. That's disrespecting not only the story but our culture. And right. obviously, yeah. they made some changes. We we already know that a phoenix is playing kind of the that side character that I don't believe is a speaking role, but plays that mystical character that maybe will appeal to. The younger audience as some, yeah because there's still gonna have cute. to be some you know that draw to you gotta sell toys man yeah. this is exactly you gotta completely get rid of it i know you gotta broad you gotta broaden your demographic even though they're trying to you know base it a little bit more off of and nikki carroll you know worked with chinese studios to to really mold this movie into a middle kingdom appealing product right now, whether or not again like we said whether or not they care remains to be seen. I, I think personally, it's probably going to do a hundred million ish, assuming you know enough theaters are open and, and, and all that, which is a whole other can of worms. Yeah, right. see, that's fair because do you know how many theaters are actually opening? Is it seventy thousand, or is that how much they have in the region? That's how much they have in all of China. I don't okay. know offhand how many uh, are opening in China. I do know as of late July, eighteen percent of global movie theaters were open. That was about a month ago, so I, I have to assume that's ticked up a few, few right. more percentage points. We'll see. You know, we'll, we'll probably have more concrete information. I would say the week leading into its global release. Yeah, and here's the thing: and uh, going off of appealing to that demographic, you have two legends in not only American martial arts cinema, but in just Chinese cinema in general. You have Donnie Yen, the who, can, who continues to be a not only a box office draw, you know, uh, in, in roles like a stable Rogue. character that grounds the movie. Yeah, but when you look how successful the Ip Man movies were, especially overseas, and you know they're like, oh my gosh, a new Donnie Yen film. It's a Disney film, which Asia is now, I wouldn't say slowly grown, but over time it's just grown to love Disney more and more and more. You see, you know, sold out, you know, fan, uh, sold out parks at capacity in Shanghai, Hong Kong, Tokyo. Um, and then you have someone like Jet Li, who's just a legend in its in his own right. You know, it's probably second to Jackie Chan in terms of big name star to come out of Asia to move over here to the states and and still can impact a draw overseas. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see it going. My going only counterpoint that. to that would be that uh, Rogue One, which obviously had huge uh, Asian stars as well, including Donnie Yen, only sixty nine and a half million in China. You would have thought mm. that would have beefed it up a little bit more and a Disney movie as well. Obviously Star Wars is not bit as big yeah, yeah, as right. a whole cultural thing, but you know, that's, that's why this is so interesting because Disney has continually tried for a decade plus to really break into the Chinese market. And for the most part, they've done a great job. Look at Marvel movies. I mean, they're crushing it over there, but 
you know, can this be the one that really kind of cements them as a force in the Middle Kingdom? That's the question. Right. Yeah. That's that's kind of like a hard thing to grasp. I mean, this this whole pandemic, you really have no idea what the fuck is going to happen. It, <laughs> yeah, things things have changed dramatically, not yeah. only in life but Hollywood as a whole. If you would have told me Mulan was hitting Disney Plus two months ago, I would have said you were crazy. Oh, of course, <laughs> no, no, and and not only because it just didn't make sense from a financial standpoint, but Disney was so adamant that like this is this is huge for you know cinema. And sadly, that's not the case. Now, let's move over to premium access, which is, you know, going to be the big talk come September 4th. And let's just say premium access does so well for Mulan that Disney decides, hey, let's start dropping other products on premium access, not like the the one and only Ivan or Artemis Fowl, which I don't think would have been big blockbuster. So are or, they beating their heads in because they should have dropped uh, onward on premium access? I, it was too <laughs> early to tell at that point. And yeah. they probably didn't have the software ready. But it, when looking at Disney's lineup moving forward, you have movies like Black Widow, you have Eternals, you have Soul, you have Ryan the Last Dragon, you have Cruella. Um, what do you see any possibility of any of those movies dropping the premium access? And do you think there's a chance premium access remains a thing for the Disney company on Disney plus? I think it's entirely contingent on what happens in the marketplace. If COVID slows its role and maybe I shouldn't be speaking so, so uh, (laughs) nonchalantly about a global pandemic, but if it does, they're going to go right back to theaters because they are the studio best suited to take advantage of the current climate, which is heavily focused on opening weekend numbers uh, and event filmmaking. So, you know, if if it's safe to reopen a good chunk of the theaters, if by December, especially, we're back at almost 100% capacity, they're going to go right to that. And they're probably not going to think of premiere access uh, again, especially for big movies, unless it's a very special occasion. But if we're not, and they have a really good return on Mulan, which is not a guarantee, I absolutely think you'll see the doors open up a little bit more. I mean, they need about 7 million buys on Disney Plus to break even. If you discount all of the overseas uh, box office, they will collect in regions that are safe to reopen. That would be the biggest, you know, for lack of a better term, pay-per-view ever, which... I don't know if Mulan's going to do that, but if it comes close and they see some good numbers, why wouldn't they try to squeeze out more revenue for future releases when the marketplace is so uncertain and volatile at a time when they don't know when they can get a blockbuster worldwide? Right. My, go ahead. So if it does well on Disney Plus and say like theaters open up everywhere, this thing starts slowing down by like October, would they release it back in theaters? Kind of like you know, Endgame kind of cheated to, to outweigh J, uh, James Cameron's <laughs> avatar. <laughs> that's a, that's a, I mean, that's tough. I think your biggest, cause you want it to be close enough where people are still interested in it. Right. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. My biggest concern, and you can say this with any movie anywhere on whether it's streaming or theaters is there's two things. The first one is watch parties. Yeah. You know, you have 10 people over, Everyone's and watching only one thirty dollar purchase, and then you keep the movie. You know, as long as you're subscribed to Disney Plus, right. so so the studio's losing out on those ten ticket purchases, which would have outweighed the thirty dollars. My second issue, and this is mainly for the territories that might not get Mulan in theaters, as well as maybe not have Disney Plus by that time, which is going to be mainly Latin America and certainly some Asian territories where piracy is going to be an issue but you could say that with any project that that's fair but mulan is such a huge blockbuster high you know tentpole film Mm -hmm. could that be could that be something that you know you know breaks some tension for disney and the watch party thing is going to be the big one that's going to be my biggest interest with premium access is how many you know buys as you say like let's say it's seven million buys let's say you didn't do any watch parties or had a few friends over and for 30 bucks, they all watched together. What if, what if that seven could have been 25 million at the theaters, you know, 25 million tickets sold. So that's going to be the key thing. And if you think this cuts absolutely every tie for a sequel, I, 
so they're they're very early talks of a sequel not even talks but it, it, at least map, i heard him talking it will mapped out a mulan sequel no nikki uh, nikki caro isn't signed on obviously there's no writers but it, it is planned it is planned that said it, i and i'm very vocal on social media with this i think moving mulan to a premium vod is the wrong move i think it's a bad move financially and i don't think it was the right movie to test it with personally yeah. I think if you were going to make that test, you should have made it with uh, a movie like maybe Onward or the one and Soul. only Ivan. <laughs> I mean, you could, but I, it's not the draw Mulan is. But if you were going to get a draw, you go for something relatively smaller scale, like an Onward or, no, or makes, a Soul. No, yeah, that makes sense. Um, now, what I was thinking was if Mulan is a su- success, and we all want it to be a success, we, no one wants to see these movies fail. Is Soul the movie that comes next, or are is are you guys on the train that it is possible Black Widow gets that move? Because I don't think Mulan gets, or I mean, I don't think Black Widow gets that. No, move. I'm right there with you. I don't think Black Widow moves. It's it's a Marvel movie, you know. Yeah, I, I think they just planned they, out things they for the series too much on theater revenue. What about you, Brandon? See, on top of everything you just said, which are legitimate concerns, another concern is how many Disney Plus subscribers are perfectly fine waiting out the window of premiere access until it is put on Disney Plus proper, in which they don't have a secondary charge. Now, I'm, I'm like totally the wrong audience to ask because I would have paid 50 bucks to watch Mulan right now. Easily, <laughs> right. Because I, I just love these blockbusters. I'm, I feel like a man who has been adrift at sea without any you know, drinkable water for exactly. weeks and weeks and weeks. I would have paid anything. Uh, you're probably right that they'll never do it with Black Widow, even if Mulan sets records. I still think there's a slim chance, depending on how it performs. But ultimately, I think all the concerns that we've mentioned and the people I've talked to in terms of the business aspect don't expect Mulan to put up blockbuster PVOD numbers, which is a shame because it looks awesome, like we said. I don't think it's going to be the the test case that says, you know what, we're charging forward. We can't say for certain things, we just, we need numbers, but uh, it would surprise me if Mulan breaks the records in terms of like the biggest pay-per-view ever was Manny Pacquiao, Floyd Mayweather, 2015, did about 400 something million million uh, at 85 95 a pop you know so it was like four and a half million buys something like that it is is Mulan really gonna almost double that number that that's a lot yeah that's tough and it what would make that see i i think and that number jumps uh, by the way and i don't know if this works in every single state but but let's say like a manny Pacquiao. that's great uh, a great point by the way is let's say a manny pacquiao fight that gets shown in casinos, that gets shown in bars, that gets shown in restaurants. Right. No, and, yeah. and the restaurant owners or the restaurant business group, they have to pay a huge price per the amount of boxes they have. They don't, get, they don't just say, oh, we're going to pay $80 for the fight and put it on all our TVs. No, they got to pay per box. So not only are they paying the $80 for one box, let's say a restaurant has 10 boxes or a casino has 20 they're paying for $20 at that $80 ticket price, which is going to inflate those numbers, which I think is a great point that you brought that up because that's $400 million for something that, you know, is grand scale people all eyes on Manny Pacquiao or Floyd Mayweather. Like that's huge. Now you're doing that. Mulan's not going to get shown in restaurants and theaters. No, this is a $30 film going to a streaming service that not, everyone in the country is probably subscribed to maybe, and not a lot of of people are interested in it outside Mm -hmm. of hardcore movie fans, families, and Disney fans. Um, And then, and and even aside from all that, you know, it's, you know, Mulan was expected to be their next Aladdin. I wouldn't say beauty and the beast, but their next Aladdin, their next billion dollar live action remake. That was, that was the hope. And I just don't, I, I just don't see it possible same thing with Black Widow. Like uh, Black Widow looks to be a film that's I, I I like Captain Marvel, but it looks to be like the better movie. It looks you know you got Scarlett Johansson, which people love her in that role, especially after Endgame. <laughs> oh, of course. So it's it, there. You know, all eyes are on that, grossing over a billion dollars, and it's a Marvel Studios project. So why do we have we wouldn't take issue with that? It's it's hard to see. Hey, do we want to take this billion dollar property that we have and throw it on Disney Plus? Because 
I, I it's it's a huge risk factor to me, and I, I it's so hard. Here's the thing. I'm I'm still the same guy that said no Mulan's n- not going to Disney Plus. There's no way they're going to put it on streaming. And now look where we're at. It's on streaming <laughs> pre- yeah. premium VOD. So I could be we're wrong. in unprecedented times. You can give yeah, yourself yeah. a break on that one. Yeah, <laughs> damn coronavirus has screwed everything up. I know for the for the worse. And you are 100 percent right. We we're all mouth watering for a blockbuster to finally see again. We we've, we've been getting great little movies on streaming, like oh, yeah. you know they've dropped The King of Staten Island, Palm Springs, you know, uh, films like that on the streaming. The, the Lovebirds, if if that's something uh, in your wheelhouse, which I personally like. Anyways, but it, it's n- nothing as big as a Mulan. Like sure, you had Scoob and Trolls World tour for the families, and Mulan's just a different animal in terms of you know blockbuster big screen you know epic action film so right it's interesting i'd be curious to see if they do do that for a soul i don't think this is a one-off but i also don't think you throw a film like black widow or jungle cruise uh or even eternals onto that you know that service but if if it does succeed i do see maybe a soul or a ryan the last dragon making that move i i for sure just that's definitely going off of like not like they should have tested the waters with something that wasn't exactly going to break the box office. You know I what agree. I mean? yeah. yeah. And I, I added it up today because I was writing about it. The live action remakes Disney's have been doing, and, and you can say what you want about their quality. 8.6 billion at the box yep. office combined. I mean, yeah. they are just raking it in, especially important because it's an in-house division for a studio that is dominated with Outside acquisitions over the last 15 years, Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm, Fox, all coming from outside of the studio. So right. this is kind of one of their you know, last vestiges of in-house productivity because you know, they've struggled to get new, new to screen live action franchises off the ground in the last 20 years. You know, you know John Carter, uh, A Wrinkle in Time, a lot of movies that have just not performed well so not cracker (laughs) so it is important for mulan to do well regardless of its delivery method they they need it to continue that momentum and we'll see i I think you're probably right i think it maybe was a little overzealous saying black widow might get it there's probably a one percent chance but that's not to take anything away because trust me based because obviously we're running a disney website right derek and i see a lot of flack for when we say we do not see black widow making that move we see hundreds of people coming after us saying no that's happening we want it to happen it's yeah so, so we have to watch what we say very carefully it seems yeah, like black widow has more demand for a pvod release than mulan does from the general audience and that's anecdotally anecdotally speak, speaking exactly right. well let's so, uh, so let's out of break well what do you mean break oh <laughs> from the from the yeah, finance from, realm yeah, oh my goodness so just speaking yeah, let's on, just kick back you know have a beer they can listen to our chit chat then we'll get back to it exactly right, here we go. go ahead. so out of all so like you said we are begging for a new movie in the theaters so if everything still goes as planned and nothing else gets pushed back what is the most like what's the one film that you're looking forward to most i mean it's so cliche but like i have to say tenet I know oh, it's just such oh, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just such a generic answer at this point, given everything that's ever been said about Christopher Nolan online, given all of the conversation and attention paid to Tenet's pained release strategy. Like, mm-hmm. But the fact is, a, an original Christopher Nolan blockbuster is one of the most exciting cinematic events to Brandon Katz, this guy right here, that you could possibly cook <laughs> up. And the fact is also, in terms of general audience interest, his last uh, three non-Batman movies all over $500 million at the worldwide box office. So clearly, people give a shit. Exactly. Oh, exactly. And he's no, one of right. the directors that is you know, coming up in the ranks. Just, in my opinion, from the Batman movies, that if you slap Christopher Nolan's face, it's almost going to be a blockbust. Like, it's going to be a successful yeah, film. You know, just like on the line with like Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, he has his name slapped on a movie. You're like, oh, shit. He's become a brand unto himself, just like you said, like Scorsese, Spielberg, uh, Tarantino, Jordan yes. Peele. Oh, these, are, these are now guys who can open films because they directed them. Exactly. Their name's just right on there. You don't give a fuck what it's about. You're like, oh, Christopher Nolan? I'm there. Fuck Man. it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So for me, if if you, first off, Tenet is a great answer. Yes. You have John David Washington, hot off of Black Klansman. Oh, man. All eyes are going to be on Robert Pattinson for obvious reasons. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. you you have, you know, Elizabeth Debicki, you have Kenneth Branagh, who's just a auteur actor and director. Yes. Um, it, that movie is, is, it's hard to argue. I Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think it moved. If it did, then I'm not following. Shame on me. But for me, it's Dune. Oh, Dune is a good one. I think, listen, I, I cannot wait for Dune because I think Denis Villeneuve may be did, the best filmmaker. It, no, it hasn't moved, but I think what could happen, especially if, if uh, Tenet opens light, is that you're going to see Wonder Woman move into Dune spot and Dune will move into summer 2021. I think that might be a possibility that, that's looking more likely depending on... It, well, won't you want a movie like that moving to summer anyway? Yeah, but if we're still talking, if it's still dated for the rest of 2020 well, and things yeah. open up, then it's for me it's Dune because I think what Denis Villeneuve has done, you know, he's become his own Christopher Nolan type of story where you can slap his name on anything right. and it draws interest. And Is that, he bringing on the same cinematographer from Blade Runner? I don't, for Dune? I no, don't. No, Roger Deakins isn't doing it, sadly. Fuck. Yeah, it's, but that cast is just so stacked. Timothy Chalamet, Josh Brolin, Who's becoming uh, Oscar Isaac, like Zendaya, DiCaprio, Scott Ferguson. Yes. It, exactly. It's it's just mind-blowing. Is it Jason Momoa in it, too? Yeah, exactly. And Dave Bautista, I think, is in it, too? Oh, yeah. Bautista, yeah. <laughs> killer, it, killer cast. Mind, oh. Mind-blowingly crazy how stacked that cast is. I'm so, Tenet's right there. Uh, other other movies I'd make a case for is obviously Black Widow, as we just talked about Black Widow and what we expect from it. Mm-hmm. Wonder Woman 1984. I think there there's a. I'm not a James Bond fan myself, but No Time to Die had a really good trailer before it got moved. So I'm so excited for No. That's probably my second most anticipated blockbuster, right on on par with Dune. And then if I could go with a less obvious answer, because I mean, blockbusters, of course we all want to see them. I cannot right. wait to see the green Knight with Dev Patel from oh, oh, David Lowry. Oh. David Lowry. Fantastic. David Lowry is such an under up to me, an underappreciated director, which is why yeah. I was so stoked when he got Peter Pan, which he loves the project. So right. yes, green Knight. I wish that would have been a premium VOD. I'd pay 25 bucks to see that right now yeah. at least like twice a month i tweet at a24 being like <laughs> when are you gonna release the green knight on pbod come on guys yeah. Yeah. So your a24 has i don't know you said it last probably, episode yeah, yeah yeah it's one of my favorite studios and to me personally they haven't missed so i just they love their out of the box ideas like my favorite one is swiss army man or the lobster it's like the fucking craziest idea but it makes you sad sometimes in yeah, the movie. Exactly. yeah and it's interesting too because they're they are going to stick with their lane which is micro budget you know prestige kind of indie vibe but they are looking to move into more medium budget a little bit more commercial fare right. like you know the green knight is is not a one of their cheap like one and a half million dollar budgeted movies this, this no, has a totally. little bit of muscle behind it and they're trying to move a little bit more into that space now will they get away from the brand identity that's made them great that's always a risk but it's also really interesting to imagine what they could do combining their very prestige you know elevated fare with something that might be a little bit more commercial that's that's an exciting prospect to a certain degree no i totally agree just if they have their ideas with a bigger budget who knows how successful you know their stories end up being because you obviously don't want them to lose that spark. And if oh, they get a bigger budget, that just means you get to build a bigger world. Right. So, and I'm and here, here's what's sad. All, all, you know, and I don't want to get into it, but all, you know, issues aside, I'm a huge Steven Spielberg fan. And I would be lying if I said, I am not somewhat intrigued and excited for West side story just because I love yeah. Steven. He's my favorite my director of all He's my favorite director of all time. You already know this. Yes. One of my favorite movies in the last 10 years is Ready Player One. I th- I think it's, I'm on the side that it's magnificent, beautiful. It's, it, oh my gosh. Anyways, so that's another one. Um, did you rattle, rattle off a couple of yours? Oh, Eric? Tenet, for sure. And then The Batman, of course. Well, 2020. Oh, 2020? Uh, then Tenet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was like, I, nothing else. We all want The Batman. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, I just can't stop thinking about it because I, I've been watching a lot of Robert Pattinson movies, and boy, does that fucking guy! Act. Derek, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> I'm like, really? Has it? <laughs> so I wanted to talk about because I know you run a podcast. It's called Post Cred Pod. Yeah, the Post Credit Pod. We just recently launched this month. 
Our first kind of multi-episode series is a DCEU Rewind leading into DC fandom. Right. And, you know, from there, we're, we're just branching out into all sorts of great mainstream pop culture things. Uh, a recent episode, actually, we interviewed Jake Johnson for his new oh, Netflix wow. series, Hoops. Yeah. And he also told us the most hilarious P. Diddy story that he had from when they uh, shared the screen for Get Him to the Greek. And so <laughs> just some really cool behind the scenes things you, you hadn't heard before. So I, I highly That's recommend right. it. Go check it out. Post-credit podcast, Apple, Spotify, get on that. Yeah. We'll, make plug, sh- we'll, make sure, we'll make sure to link it in the description. And what's funny is that I, I saw you tweet about that and then you guys were about to watch batman v superman and give us your thoughts on that <laughs> i'm just so, yeah. i know that you rip and shirt so yeah i mean if, if you guys want to get my uh, twitter mentions aflamed i'm not the biggest snyder fan in the world i respect don't worry i'm right there with going you for i don't think he really pulled it off but there are things i like so you know i'm right. not a complete like this is a waste of time blah 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 no, also exactly. you know like what you like if you if you're a big snyder fan like as long as you're not shitting on someone else's opinion, like, you know, go exactly. No, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. what the hell am I to tell you what to like? Yeah, exactly. Movies are subjective and they're supposed to be that way. Well, that's no, cool. you will like what I tell you to like, Derek. <laughs> Take back everything I said. Yes, Zach, sir. Zack Snyder's a god. He's better than every director on the planet. I'll do what Brandon says. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it, it, so post cred podcast. We'll make sure to link the podcast yes. in the description for uh, this week's episode. Check it out. We uh, we'll make sure we're catching up on all these episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of uh, DC fandom, which you're leading into, uh, uh, we talked about DC fandom and what we expect and what we're excited. Yeah, for. we talked about it pretty much the whole episode. Yeah, for a good chunk. podcast. Yeah, for a chunk <laughs> of it. But now we want to ask you, someone who is in this industry with us, what are you looking forward to and what do you expect? Really, the big question is, what are you looking forward to and what do you expect to see? So I think there's probably six panels that I'm most excited for, and that would be. Wonder Woman 1984, because we're going right. to see some new footage. Cheetah. It would be, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone's really excited to see how that comes together. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's the Flash panel, because we might get an official confirmation of Michael Keaton returning as Batman, which is just yep. all sorts of dope. Oh, yes. We didn't even talk uh, about that. No, we yeah. didn't. The Suicide Squad panel, because I just think James Gunn does awesome stuff, and I pretty much like all, all the things he does. Right. Uh, the Snyder Cut, because, I mean... I'm still morbidly curious, even if I don't necessarily agree with its existence. Like, obviously, right. I still want to see what's, what the deal is. Uh, Black Ad, Adam, The Rock's official introduction, and DC is teasing a few surprises. That's a quote. I, I Listen, I've been going out on a limb and saying, like, if there's ever a time to announce that Henry Cavill's returning as Superman, it would make sense oh, then. Oh, it would make sense for yes. him to, to appear in Black Adam for his return. It just it's, makes a lot of sense on paper. And then, of course, I'm looking forward to the Batman right. panel, which is, you know, probably there's a reason they put it last. It's probably the most anticipated right. big, big event of the we, whole the whole shebang. We have to see something. I would love to... But see. We were talking about... I didn't even think about like them announcing Henry and Cavill that, again. That's actually really but good. But we were thinking maybe some Green Lantern stuff. That was yeah. just out on a limb. Yeah, that, we don't know. Green Lantern and New Gods updates, I really hope. Yes. I, I, because I just still don't know because they were saying it was a, a, I think, did they say it was HBO Max series? Yeah, for Green Lantern. But that doesn't yeah. mean they couldn't touch on the film. Um, it, it, it's hard because DC just has so many projects they announce and we just hear nothing of it. So maybe a New Gods is the announcement. Maybe it's, I doubt it, but maybe it's Steven Spielberg's Thunderbird or was it Blackhawks? Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, it, it could be a multitude of different things. Um, I, I, I'm praying that we, like I said, I, I believe we see Cheetah. I believe we get a first look at Black Adam. I believe we get a tease of the Batman, whether it's, you know, a first look at some of the villains or Catwoman or even a teaser trailer, uh, an official title for the Flash movie uh maybe an official title for uh shazam too because uh, david f sandberg just recently got on twitter said they already have a title uh, there's just so much like shazam is, volume two yeah this is yeah. <laughs> yeah shazam volume no shazam with two exclamation points yeah exactly. shazammed yeah shazam <laughs> shazammed <laughs> it's kazam <laughs> we're bringing back shack <laughs> it's, it's the one with sinbad oh right the one that never existed yeah exactly <laughs> All right, so before we get into uh, the latter half of this uh, this episode, I wanted to ask you, what is your favorite all-time movie? 
My favorite all-time movie all time. Is, is probably Almost Famous. And uh, I oh, love that. That is such a good one. And I'm working very hard to try and talk to the cast and crew involved for its 20th anniversary coming up in September. I've done oh, a few, nice. you know, kind of oral history retrospective type pieces on Lost and X-Men over the last uh, few months trying to make this the next one. We'll see. Fingers crossed. I, I can lock in those interviews. Oh, man, that's a good one. All right. Wow. Uh, Patreon. What's your guys' favorite, favorite movies um, before we move on? Oh, yes. Yeah, I've said this multiple times. It's Psycho. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, I've I probably watch that movie at least ten times a year. I won't even perfect. watch this fly. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Sky? I am a so so. I'll go outside of Disney. Uh, I'm a huge fan of, and and we all are of just golden age cinema. And I love. I have a soft spot for golden age musicals, and I love like behind the scenes stories on like films that had like issues. So it's for me, it's Singing in the Rain. Oh wow! Um, I love you know Gene Kelly and Debbie Reynolds and uh, was it Fred Astaire? It's it, it, it just it's it, first off, it puts you in a good mood. It reminds you of golden age Hollywood. You want to just get up and go to Hollywood or Universal Studios. Um, the, the, the idea behind singing in the rain, when Gene Kelly's doing that iconic dance in the rain, he had a 103 degree fever. Oh, doing I knew it. That, yeah. He did it in one take and was done. I love the little drama that he and, uh, if, if Gene Kelly did not get along with Debbie Reynolds and Fred Astaire. And I, I, I just, I love golden age Hollywood. And that just reminds me of psycho is so good because that's golden age Hollywood. You have almost famous, which is just so beloved is now a cult classic. And it's just oh, so good. Oh man. Do you want to hear something embarrassing? I've never seen singing in the rain. Not never seen singing in the rain, man. No. I'm As a movie buff, you got it. It I really know. is impressive, especially because they don't have like the modern filmmaking techniques that we do today. It's so, like, Oh, I know these guys are doing it, man. Yeah. It's all real. It's unbelievable. I know. Like, I'm still trying to go back and, you know, catch those certain movies that are like, dude, what the fuck? You haven't seen that? I'm like, yeah. no, I haven't. <laughs> I think we all have that movie. I always equate what you said, Gene Kelly, just laying it down in one take to Nas, I'm a big rap fan, and New Yorkers know yep, that right. uh, Nas laid down New York State of Mind, arguably his, his most famous song and verse ever, in, right. in just one one take. I always think those two are oh, really man. cool. The people, man. Spirit connections. There's just yeah, some people nuts. that have uh, just a natural talent for, you know, what they do. Yeah, like, just, and then there's the people with 40 takes. <laughs> oh, exactly, yeah. like like us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's the people like us who talk about the talent because yeah. we don't have any of our... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Our, ta- our talent is <laughs> highlighting other people's talent. I know. Yeah. It's telling everybody else what they need to do. Don't know. worry. In 20 years, someone's going to start a podcast and they're going to talk about all our talent. They're going to be exactly. like, man, Brandon <laughs> Katz has a, just a knack for, you know, the film and the, the industry. Skylar just has a knack for knowing dumb facts on Disney and Derek <laughs> just Skylar just psycho. <laughs> Derek just rides in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Sticking with Disney, I, I love Ego's speech in Ratatouille. It was like, as a critic, we risk nothing, criticizing those who, who risk everything. But we do risk something when we embrace and support like the new. Bro, and so I, I, bro, I, love, wow. I love how, yeah, it's a great speech that I think also sums up, you know, our, our profession a little bit. And, yeah. You know, to put something of value out there, we, we always have to be unafraid to embrace and support something new and exciting and daring, even if, it, even if it's not super accepted by the mainstream so right. I, you know. shout out to See, the late every Peter time, tool. yeah every yeah. time i go into this is totally off subject but every time i go into rotten tomatoes there's like a handful of critics that i look out for and you're one of them i'm looking yeah. for that either either the the rotten or or the or the know, red or the red tomato yeah. To yeah. see, like, oh, fuck, what does Brandon think about this before I walk into it? <laughs> That's much appreciated. Like I said, yeah. please be my hype men slash therapist. I'll put oh, you dude, we got you. We'll hype you up all day. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I see. I look out for uh, Brandon Katz, and I look out for Armand White. Because oh. I know if he hates the movie... I'm going to love it. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Um, so, so we're going to jump into our Patreon questions, which Derek has. Our Patreon subscribers yeah. are awesome. We love them. And They're hefty questions, by the way. These guys did not hold back. Yeah, so, so we'll, I'm honored they came up with questions for me. It's honestly very yeah. flattering. And what's so, funny you. is that I listed you because uh, we wanted some more insight on like the tracking and like you know the finance behind Hollywood. And every single one of them, are about that. 
they didn't were like, oh, what's his favorite Pixar movie? You know, exactly. <laughs> they're like, hey, what is the like the tracking for blah blah blah? And I was like, oh shit, okay, I will do my best. Now you're putting me on the spot. I feel like if I don't deliver, I'm going to lose my entire fan base. If you can even call them, fans. no way. <laughs> the way you were talking, million. the way you were talking about it earlier, and I was like, oh fuck. <laughs> I'm dumb. <laughs> yeah, so no, we'll say, we'll say. Yeah, yeah. Pressure's on, man. I'm sweating over here. Right. Oh no, you're good, dude. Okay, so this one comes from Ernesto, Ernesto Barreda. There we go. Uh, wouldn't it, wouldn't it have made better sense for Disney to release Mulan on in 2021 instead of rushing it to Disney Plus? We kind of already talked about this. You think the pressure was too big to bring some revenue to investors on this quarter, considering all of their other revenue sources are very diminished. Yeah, I mean, up to 40% of Disney's annual revenue is generated entirely by their parks and resorts uh, division. So with that shut down for essentially all of 2020, they have been hurting. You've seen their market cap go down to the point where Netflix has leapfrogged them. You've seen their stock dip uh, around 20% on the year. It's on a slight rebound over the last four weeks or so. But I, I mean, this has been a very very bad worst case scenario nightmare year. So I do think the pressure to start generating any type of revenue plays a role. Now, do I think Mulan would be more successful releasing in 2021 when presumably worldwide theaters are back to relative normal? Of course I do. Like we talked about at the top of this podcast, it doesn't make a ton of economic sense to release blockbuster movies, not smaller mid fair movies like King of Staten Island, like uh, uh, Palm Springs, but blockbusters, it just doesn't make a ton of sense to release them at home. So this is a somewhat of a desperation move. I still think it'll be somewhat successful, but perhaps not as successful as Disney is hoping. Right. No, I 100% agree with that. Yeah, I can't argue. Yeah. Okay, this one comes from Elliot Bullock II. He wants to make sure that we say his full name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I respect uh, the lineage. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't forget the second. Yeah, the second. It'll offend his father. I know. <laughs> his father's a subscriber. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, with a blockbuster film budget between 100 and to 200 million, does it usually include marketing advertisement in the budget, or does the studio add it in later to finalize when the film is being released? Yeah. So production budgets, you know, the things that are listed on Box Office Mojo and and, and uh, websites like that, they do not include any marketing. That is just what it costs to make the film. And those, the publicly known figures, are often tens of millions of dollars less than what the actual budget it is. Right. We all know Hollywood accounting is infamous. <laughs> and uh, for a movie like a Tenet or a Mulan, you know, a blockbuster at that level, you're typically seeing. 120, 140 million invested into marketing. So you have to add that on top of these mammoth budgets when you're really kind of figuring out how much a movie needs to break even. And then you've obviously got revenue split. So typically speaking, uh, a studio will split 50% of domestic ticket sales with movie theater chains and about 25% overseas. That's generally speaking. Of course, there are exceptions. Uh, Disney demanded 65% for the Star Wars sequel trilogy, which was a huge deal at the time. Uh, Tenet, it's been reported, is, is Warner Brothers wants 63%. So of course there's always um, exceptions, but that's generally the rule and generally uh, a crazy amount of Hollywood accounting that goes into how much money was really needed to be made and spent and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I just took an accounting class. So it's funny that you're giving me a refresher because <laughs> I had to learn and break it. Oh, dude, it was a nightmare. Anyway. <laughs> Sounds impossible. Oh, God. Okay, this one comes from Jackson Wayne. He said, how do they estimate how much money a film needs to be made? Very basic question. Well, first of all, Jackson Wayne needs to be the main character in the next like Tom Clancy adaptation. Or something, <laughs> yeah, right. That's what like I that. thought. I was like, that's a badass that, name. Totally dope. That guy's like clearly pulling like a six shooter on some outlaw or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that really cool name, Jackson Wayne, wherever you are. But uh, yeah, I mean, kind of like what we just talked about. It is a combination of production budget. It is uh, a combination of marketing budget and revenue splits with theaters. And that's kind of how the Hollywood accounting goes. There, of course, are ancillary costs and ancillary revenue, you know, like home video sales and everything. So there are ways for a film that didn't do great in theaters to eventually eke out a profit or break even. But obviously, first and foremost, the top priority of a studio is making money via, you know, theatrical ticket sales. That's the bread and butter. 
Right. Cause I can only, there's been, what was, there was a movie that I read about that it was, you were talking about that it made its money back very slowly through like DVD sales and oh. VOD sales. I can't remember what the it's movie It's an iconic was. movie. Yeah. No, there's, there's a ton of them like that. Though. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And yeah, it's so funny one that too, because in like, uh, you know, 2004 ish DVD sales and like home entertainment sales were roughly 25 billion a year for the Hollywood uh, industry. Damn. Now, last year, 9 billion. So they are, the streaming has just absolutely cut into that right. dramatically so that they no longer can, studios can no longer uh, rely on home entertainment right. sales as yeah. a kind of viable revenue generator. It's, it's like music too. I mean, with you have yeah. Spotify and Apple Music and stuff, and it's really cut, you know, people actually putting out physical CDs. If you go to Best Buy, they used to have like fucking seven shelves of CDs. Now they're down to one. And it's, it's usually like Kiss Greatest Hits or... <laughs> or Kids Bop 5. Yeah. 15, you mean. Oh, yeah, 50. But yeah, that, this whole stuff is crazy. Okay, next is Aaron Perry. He says, with Disney acquiring films like Black Beauty for Disney+, Plus, do you expect we will see more similar movies by Disney um, of buying already oh of buying already finished films in the next few months and more importantly do you think this could be uh, to prep if premium access goes well from Milan so they have options for this new offering or do you think they might stick to just major blockbusters that are currently in limbo like Soul Woo. so first of all Aaron Perry sounds like the inside man that Jackson Wayne has on local law enforcement to get the intel <laughs> he's, he's, the, he's the informant <laughs> He's like the helpful, the helpful cop who's like, I know you got to go outside the law for this. Don't tell him I gave it to you. Like, <laughs> that sounds like Jack. Yeah. First of all, um, listen, I, I absolutely think Disney's going to be uh, more aggressive in acquiring films. And that is one, because of the production shutdown forced by COVID. You know, Netflix is really the only steady, consistent provider of new content. And that is a big reason why their growth has seen unprecedented highs in the first half of 2020. And one reason why Disney's slipping. And second of all, you've also seen, even before the pandemic, a common complaint against Disney Plus is a lack of original content. Now, obviously, they've got The Mandalorian, which is its flagship series, and a massive, massive success. But really, they've been relying on their back catalog of marquee franchise brands. And while you know, those types of shows and like The Simpsons and Marvel and Pixar and all those movies help to uh, retain customers and avoid churn. It is a original exclusive programming that helps drive new subscription growth. So even though Disney Plus is growing like a weed and, and just crushing it, I absolutely think you're going to see them for the next few months continue to bring in outside entertainment to just fill the coffers, you know, have right. some steady product given to their customers so they don't feel cheated and say, you know what? Until, you know, the Marvel shows debut and until they're ready to get back on track, I'm going to cancel. Right. That's literally what we were talking about in, uh, what was it, two podcasts ago that we were talking about, you know, like them acquiring Black Beauty right. and stuff was just fillers, you know, with these new content trying to, I don't know, satisfy the subscribers. Yeah, kind of like clouds earlier yeah. this year. So yeah. it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, Netflix is releasing about 60 plus original films and series per month since the pandemic started. Now, we can talk about quality all day. We know that Netflix's right. endless sea of li you know, <laughs> library of content is largely forgettable, but they're still pushing it out there and people are still watching. So Disney Plus is clearly taking note of that. Right. You, you mean to tell me you didn't like Ridiculous Six and Sandy Wexler? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I'm a huge Sandman fan, so uh, I, my, my conscience and devotion to Adam Sandler will not permit me to answer that question. I, I, I will say this before we move on. I liked murder mystery. I will be. Yeah, I will. Not bad. I liked murder mystery. I think me and my wife are going to watch that. It's with, yeah. It's, it's with Jennifer Aniston, right? It's it's like a it's like off. it's like Clue on a boat, right? It, basically, it's That's like hilarious. It's, it's, yeah. It's not okay. bad. This it's one comes from uh, Puck Heroes artwork. From the total amount a studio makes from a movie, how much of the of that does the studio keep after paying for marketing ads, etc. So we kind of covered that, you know, a yeah. uh, $100 million blockbuster, probably a $100 million marketing budget, 50% uh, domestic ticket sales, about 25% uh, 
overseas. Now, that's not, you know, the only case. Of course, there are exceptions as we covered, but that is generally the rule. Right. Okay, cool. Um, okay, let's see here. And this one... just let me go in quickly. The reason uh-huh. why uh, Disney is releasing Mulan via Premier Access on Disney Plus is so that they can keep 100% of right. revenue. Whereas, uh, typically speaking, when you release something on premium video on demand, it goes to Amazon and iTunes and those third-party platforms, and studios keep 80%, right. like Universal did for Trolls World Tour. This way, they control 100% data information, which is very important, you know, the viewing habits, that, that helps feed their marketing and decision-making, and they keep 100% of the revenue. So you can see why a larger cut of a smaller pie might also be attractive to Disney, given the financial straits this year has imposed on them. Right. Isn't Disney its own distributor as well? Or did I read that somewhere that's wrong? Sorry, could you repeat that? Um, Is Disney its own distributor as well? Because they're keeping it like in-house or am I just making that up? (laughs) I have no idea. I mean, obviously, you know, they're distributing it in terms of like the theaters that it's going to uh, worldwide, but they're still, they still have to split those uh, ticket sales with the exhibitors. Gotcha. That makes, okay. All right. This one comes from Spencer Weary. He's the, uh, he's the villain uh, to, to Jackson Wayne. Um, (laughs) We we gotta get this script going. I know we all gotta bring them in and write them a script. Uh, with a movie like The Little Mermaid, which was supposed to start filming earlier this year until production was halted, was there was is obviously a set budget. Now that COVID has halted production, when it resumes, how will COVID affect the already approved budgets for films? It's a really, really good question. Yeah, that and is a good question. The yeah. answer is the budgets are going to go way up. Jurassic World, uh, the third one, Dominion. Uh, came back at an additional cost of five to six million dollars just for early COVID precautions. That number is probably going to rise as they get deeper into production. Uh, Tyler Perry earlier this year, he was speaking to, uh, I believe it was Variety, about uh, flying people in on his private plane to his studio in Atlanta, you know, housing them because it, it's a former army barracks converted into a studio. So he has the, the, the space to keep people. But uh, in, in introducing all of the COVID precautions in terms of testing and uh, catering, like, you know, across the board. And he said, quote, it is a massive, enormous uh, burden on the budget. Listen, he, he just completed like a 10 episode series season of television in like eight days or something crazy. So that's very <laughs> impressive. But, you know, he's, he was honest. He's like, this is an insane cost on my own dime. So what you're going to see is budget shoot up what that means for what kind of films get made moving forward in a post-COVID world, especially in the immediate aftermath, I think you'll probably see a lot of less risk-taking from the studios. I think even though blockbusters are the best bet in terms of return on investment, you might see a little bit more mid-budget fare, might see a little bit more straight-to-streaming, straight-to-PVOD releases, and maybe just a little slowdown of massive productions given the additional cost of COVID precautions, but we'll have to wait and see. We're still in unprecedented territory and we don't know. And the studio sure as shit don't know either. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and for something like the little mermaid to take, despite COVID, which is going to have such a, a massive effect on not only filming but production budgets, take no, no issue with this when it comes to, quality in terms of visuals and storytelling and set design disney is not going to cut corners on something like the little mermaid this is something they are banking on to be one of their most successful live action remakes of all time this is one of the most anticipated films from disney yeah it will continue to be until it comes out people won't stop booking us about it oh any news yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right i didn't know the little mermaid was that like it's, prevalent. Obviously, it's it's a huge movie, but I didn't know it was kind of one of the most anticipated. Oh, dude! It's every time we go one. live, every time we say, "Hey, give us questions," it's always the Little Mermaid. It's and that's how our stories accounts. track so well. Is the Little Mermaid ones? Yeah, if we can get a Little Mermaid story out there, it tracks very well. Yeah. Does Why really, do you think that is? I mean, I like the Little Mermaid, but I just never really thought of it like on the same ground as like Lion King and Aladdin and, and things like that. I think just because it's been teased for so long that we didn't even know initially that they were going to remake it in live action. Yeah, and not not to mention it's really the film that kicked off the Disney Renaissance. 
which is a huge thing for Disney fans. And, you know, when, when you think of movies like The Lion King and Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, these films that are in the Disney Renaissance, which really saved Walt Disney animation from these dark times after Walt Disney had passed away, The Little Mermaid was the kickstart it needed. There's songs that just appeal to people that are played not only in the parks, but just My all over the world. My wife sings one for karaoke. Yeah, That's see, her go-to karaoke you know, song. You know, <laughs> Under the Sea, Part of Your World, Poor Unfortunate Souls, and everything in between. Like The Little Mermaid just has such a huge fan base, not only from Disney fans, but just movie fans uh, You know, across the globe. It's just, it's so iconic. And, and now that they're changing up how, you know, young girls and, and boys see who a Disney princess is by switching the, the race of Ariel is Hall- huge. It's huge. Hallie Bailey has now like a cult following. It's huge. And we also I'm excited for it. Soon. That's really cool. Good breakdown guys. Yeah. No wonder you run this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So this, this question comes from the owner of the town's favorite speakeasy, Andrew D. Uh, are the salaries of the actors and crew included in the budget of the film? Does the budget solely come from the studio or do outsiders silent partners invest in the movie too? Do sponsorships say Pepsi wanted to appear on a billboard contribute to the overall budget? So typically uh, talent participation is accounted for in the production budget. That's not always the case, especially when you have uh, box office escalators and benchmark bonuses that can't be figured Robert out Downey until Jr. after. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that is typically the case. Um, you can see uh, major studios go to kind of smaller production houses for financing. So a famous recent example of that is uh, Warner Brothers was not completely sold on the idea of Joker, even at a, just a $55 million budget. So Village Roadshow actually handled 50% of the finances. 50% oh, of the profits, right. as yeah, they should. Yeah, you know, that. Warner yeah. Brothers may be kicking themselves for that. Yeah, Bradley Cooper, and there's finally, an interview the last with him. part of the question, uh, the James Bond series is famous for covering production budgets and turning profits. The film ever comes out thanks solely to product placement. Almost every single one, especially in the, you know, since like the 90s, has already made money by the time it's actually released. Because of you know Belvedere and Heineken and, and yeah. you know all all of that stuff. So Audi, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know th- these are movies that have like 165 million dollars in the bank before they even hit hit the uh, theaters because they've already had that product placement sponsorship deals in place, which is a very interesting way of of kind of financing film and something that hasn't really hurt the art too much in the Daniel Craig era, in my opinion. Right. No, that's a good question, Andrew, because I was even wondering about that. And I'm in this business. Anyway, uh, go for it. Yeah, this is from this one's from the town pharmacist, Gabe Marshall with COVID (laughs) is. Oh, good old Gabe Marshall with COVID is Disney considering not hiring certain actors for movies because of how much money the actors get paid. I won't read it. You guys would probably be better better suited to answer this than me. Uh, Yeah, Skylar, you want to take a crack at it? Yeah, I I think despite everything going on with COVID in in this world, if Disney wants a certain actor, Disney is going to get a certain actor. And I don't think the actors right now are are in a position to... Negotiate? Yeah, they're going to want work. They want to get back to work. And the ones that aren't, you know, are... are, Let's say they're wanting to practice, you know, maybe social distancing still, then sure... But if Disney's eyeing certain actors or they have an actor in mind and they want him, it's very likely they'll get him because a lot of these actors and actresses want to get back to work. They want to create product. It's their livelihood as well. And, you know, it, you know, it's a great way to... Disney is a great jumping off point for starting franchises, whether it's, you know, a Marvel property, Star Wars property, Pixar. We see, you know, the Disney live action remakes starting their own spinoff franchises, whether it's on Disney Plus or sequels. So I don't think that affects it. Will Disney go, hey, we're, we're you know, we're going to have to cut pay to, to cut costs here and there probably I think that would be a good assumption. Obviously we don't know how, if if that's the case and I'm sure it is, but the actors, if they want an actor, they're going to find a way to work with them. And, and just remember the actors 
when it comes to these Disney properties are making so much in other uh, means when it comes to Disney, whether it's marketing material, it's toys, promotion, and Disney's the perfect place to make money for yourself as a person, character, or actor outside of just film. Parks, uh, you know, McDonald's toys, it, 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 the list goes on and on. Can't argue with that. <laughs> I was like just sitting answer, here, yeah. like okay. <laughs> so I just laid it down, man. Yeah, there's dude. that. There's that. I, I, and who, and we, we've. And I'm sure it'll happen somewhere. I'm sure some actor will drop out for some godforsaken reason. It's 2020. I have seen the weirdest things this year. Yeah. <laughs> so that is crazy. I think. We have taken so much of your time, Brandon, and we appreciate you coming yeah, on. Uh, this was so show. insightful. Holy it, shit. It was a great, yeah, it's, it's always great to speak with you, not only on the podcast that we do, but, you know, even offline, whether it's on Twitter, social media, yeah. through text. Um, let everyone know where they can find you on social media and some of the work you're doing right now. Yeah, so uh, on Twitter, you can find me at great underscore Catsby, K-A-T-Z-B-Y. Instagram at Deekson, D-E-A-K-S-O-N. Appreciate you guys having me on the show. And uh, in terms of cool upcoming things, you can check out Observer.com. We'll be having a ton of TV reviews in the near future, whether that's The Boys Season 2, which I'm working yes. on the screeners right now, uh, Ratchet on Netflix, Away, The Hillary Swank Show on Netflix, oh, yeah. Fargo Season 4. So like over the next four weeks, we're, you know, I got a bunch of uh, really fun TV reviews coming that I think you guys will enjoy. Awesome. Yeah, we're super All right, Brandon, stoked. thank you for joining us, and uh, I guess we'll see you on Twitter. <laughs> thank you guys for having me. Much appreciated. All right, take care, man.